Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog. This is it, part five, James Bond. This is your host, Sam. I'm with Tessa, Elise, and Nigel. We're all very, very good friends by this point. So here it is, the last part of our conversation. I think we have a lot of... Knowing what I know, I think there's a lot of consistency here in the top five. I think that we're going to find a lot of consensus, maybe not in the exact spots, but I think a lot of the same movies are in the top five for us. We're going to start off with 1964's Goldfinger at number five. This is the one where a future POTUS cheats at golf and tries to destroy America by taking all its money. Is that joke too soon? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't believe in too soon, so say well, that joke whenever you'd like. There you go. <laughs> All right, Nigel, let's start with you. Where is Goldfinger on your list? Is it in the top five? It's number two. I really enjoyed this film. I think it's my favorite out of the uh, Connery Bond films. It's really good. Like, the characterization is quite good for the most part. I think Oddjob is a really strong henchman, uh, and Goldfinger is a really good primary villain. What do I think? I think I really like Lighter in this film. Uh, his dynamic with Bond is really, really good, especially at the end where he's like, you know, I've got alcohol for three people on the plane. Well, who else is flying? No one, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, he's just helping a brother out. Um, what else? Uh, I think the scene where they're going to rob um, the United States Bullion Depository is really like tense because of how the music and the scoring works. And it's not something I've seen the likes of in many other Bond films, how it's done, like that slow uh, build up in how quick the like the one notes come where and then it's like, yeah, um, as well. This film could be called Golf Finger, you know, <laughs> I really enjoyed the golf scene. I don't know why, like normally, um. Normally, when you have just this, this like entirely like separate thing where it's like apropos of nothing, we're gonna do this. I'm like, I hate this, but it's like, I don't know the dynamic. Like, it's like you know that scene that's in a lot of things now where it's like the villain will go get a shave from the hero, and it's like you know you've got that tension of like, will he just use the razor and kill the villain or whatever? Where it's like that level of tension for me is in the golf scene where it's like anything could happen what's bond gonna do like you know what's goldfinger gonna do to bond in retaliation i don't know and then we they're talking about that scene is great too because bond is like actively trying to piss goldfinger off the entire scene yeah exactly <laughs> is that when he's, he's talking to him about like missing the hole or like you know it's the wrong ball <laughs> <laughs> this is comedy gold Wait, hold on. Isn't, sorry, isn't Goldfinger as well the one at the start where he breaks into the facility by wearing a plastic duck on his head? I do not remember this scene. I'm pretty sure, yeah, I it's at the start of either. one of them and he breaks into it by swimming and he's got a duck on his head. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, oh, yeah okay. and that's the one where he, he then goes into the, the hotel and spots Goldfinger for the, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah that's Bond's greatest piece of spycraft and it's like, we should just give up. Like, that's the best <laughs> he's ever that's been. Also... But that's also the iconic moment where he takes off the wetsuit and the tux is underneath. Yes. Yes. I love that. So, Elise, what do you think of Goldfinger? 
So Goldfinger is number three on my list. Um, I love this movie. It has the best villain. I do enjoy how much time Bond and Goldfinger spend together, which is definitely more than other movies. A lot, you know, it's a normal James Bond thing for Bond to spend some time with the villain where the villain kind of tells him what's the plan and he's a little captured for a lot of you know, for a bit, but this is a different because he's for a lot. He's a little captured. I mean, that's um, like, this is different. That's they, the perfect description of Bond, though, because he's never fully captured. He's just a little. Yeah, captured. they they just spent enough time together to figure out each other's love languages. Exactly. <laughs> and the love languages, the love languages were puns. Um, so I just think it's so good because. There's time where they're just taunting each other for a very long time before Bond is a little captured. Um, I wanted to mention that the actor that plays Goldfinger is actually a former Nazi party member, Gert Frobe, and he was kind of learning English like while making this movie. So he spoke very slowly and they ended up having to dub another voice on top of his because the movie probably would have ended up being twice as long. This movie has my favorite Bond girl, uh, Pussy Galore, as I mentioned earlier. I do want to comment on, and trigger warning for sexual assault and rape, but the scene in the barn is disgusting, and I, I know that in a lot of Bond films, I'll have the Bond girl do the no, 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 yes type of situation when Bond is coming on to them, but Pussy Galore pretty much never said, I don't think she ever even said yes at any point. Um, we mentioned earlier she's canonic- canonically gay, right? In the in the book, I think. and yeah. In the film, she, too. She says she's not in the, interested in men. Well, she's, well, yeah. I mean, if he turns her, was she ever a yeah. lesbian? Right. That and I have a really hard... I have a really hard time with that. Um, yeah, Bond being so sexy that he turned a lesbian. I just, I don't like any of that. But that whole scene in the barn reads as rape to me, um, which is surprising for me to have it so high on my list. Um, I do really like the plot of this movie. I think that money is fake. And so I really think this plot would work. Like, I, I feel like if you... I feel like if you destroy a bunch of money, everyone else's money is worth more. That is going to happen. Economics. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, why don't no, we just... I mean, gold standard kind of... Going off the gold standard kind of changes that. It's even faker than it was. <laughs> right. Sam, I'm going to um, make and one a less... bunch of controversy oh, by sorry. just saying, why don't we print more money? I mean, I don't disagree with that. <laughs> but that's that's actually liberal economic theory in the U.S. The, the whole discussion was we could just mint $5 trillion coins and solve everything that's wrong right now. You, it, and there's no reason you can't. No, I agree completely. Uh, I will say that I love the classic laser scene in this yes. film where... Bond's penis is being threatened <laughs> by a laser. Um, I mean, it's just so amazing because you know he likes to use that penis, so it's very scary that it might get destroyed. 
I love that scene. It's such, I mean, this film has the best like bond iconography, like the gold, the girl covered in gold in the bed, the scene with the laser. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier, the no Mr. Bond, I expect you to die, which is one of the best villain lines. Goldfinger is so like, I was a little uncomfortable watching this because I was Goldfinger is such a dead on ringer for Trump. Like I, oh yeah, totally. I was shocked at how similar those two are actually, and that like it made him even better as a villain in some ways. Uh, the pussy galore thing really is disturbing to me as well. It is my least favorite like Bond girl arc, even though Pussy Galore is a great Bond girl in a lot of ways. I. We'll say, though, I am surprised at how few scenes there were of that going into it. Like, when I started watching Bond, I was like, there's going to be, like, a sexual assault or, like, a gray area scene like every Bond film. There actually aren't as many as you would think that there are. Um, This is the worst example of that, and perhaps the one Inspector as well, as, as Nigel pointed out. But actually, for the most part, there is a lot of enthusiastic consent in Bond films, which is interesting. But this one... That is my one drawback yeah. to this film. This is why it's number five on the list instead of higher, I think, is because of that storyline. That makes sense. Just two quick notes. First of all, Goldfinger was the first James Bond film to be nominated for an Oscar in sound effects editing. And second, Sean Connery was paid $50,000 plus an undisclosed percentage for this movie compared to the film he made at the same time Alfred Hitchcock's Marnie, for which he made $400,000. So, you know, he might have had something to complain about after all. I just really find it interesting, Nigel, that you referred to the place that they break into as the U.S. Bullion Depository instead of what literally everyone here refers to it as Fort Knox. Fort Knox is the military base. It's the same place. It's the same place. See, and here's the thing. I mean, if I could go Sterling Archer on you for just a second, this is the the thing about Fort Knox is that to us it has a synecdochal relationship with where the money is held. I think it's actually meta- metonymical as well. I think it works out both ways. Uh, <laughs> I really do. So, at number four. 1977's The Spy Who Loved Me, the one where Bond teams up with Russian girl Bond, and the villain has an underwater base and, predictably, a henchman named Jaws, who, unpredictably, isn't a shark, although there are sharks in the movie. So, this is number nine on my list, but it's also my highest Roger Moore. So I love the op- the skiing Union Jack parachute scene, which Sam mentioned earlier was also done at the Olympics <laughs> with Daniel Craig. That was a lot of fun. I do feel like that is an iconic um, Bond thing. I really enjoyed the like underwater Atlantis planet or world thing. Um, I just love the Bond villain layers. They're great. Um, as you mentioned earlier, it has Jaws. I love that. Um, and I, and Anya is my, or Triple X is my, is my second favorite Bond girl. So I just really love the, I love her motivation that she has to do her job, but she also wants to kill the person that, that murdered her lover. 
But you know what? She and Bond caught feelings, and that is, you know, complicates things. I do, I feel like I'm glad that they were, they added a little bit of camp to this movie, and then now I'm, like, blanking on examples, because I feel like the movie would have maybe been a little too serious otherwise. Um, I don't really have anything negative to say about this one, which is funny that it's number nine, and I have negative things to say about movies that are higher, oh, like, higher on my list or lower however you want to phrase that but yeah i like it nigel where is the spy who loved me on your list i'd say like a solid 14 like i think this is probably you know this is probably my favorite roger moore film but it's like i just choose not to perceive roger moore if i can (laughs) hence my hence my uh performance in the ranking those bond ones i i really like the (laughs) I really like the lair. I think Stromberg is an interesting villain. And he's like, he's really up there in terms of like Bond villains who, like, who are really, really showy. You know, um, he he's exactly what you picture when someone says like of a modern villain. Oh, they're going full Bond villain. Like this is the type of thing they're talking about. But it's like, I don't know. I'm really freaked out by open water, so I don't like that portion of the film. Or, you know, like, I just, it's really, I don't know, it's really distracting for me, um, even when I'm looking at shit that's underwater. Um, however, uh, in terms of characters, I really like Jaws in this film, and I really like the dynamic that he has with Agent Triple X. Um, however, I'm struggling to, f- like, why was this film nominated for three Academy Awards? Like, I'm like I I, I looked into this film because I'm like I want to find some interesting trivia to either back up my opinion or to make me go, oh, my opinion is wrong. And it's like it was nominated for three Oscars and it was also novelized, which I I think it's so weird. I don't think the film as good as it is in comparison with especially the rest of Roger Moore, I don't think it's deserving of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. I really like this film a lot. Uh, I've mentioned my fondness for Agent Triple X, and the dynamic between them I think is really good as well. We should also probably mention the song Nobody Does It Better is clearly supposed to be about their relationship, which I always really enjoy when Bond songs are about kind of the central relationships in the film. Uh, No Time to Die, which we've mentioned too, seems to be kind of more in that vein, where it's about the relationship between Bond and another character. Nobody Does It Better is clearly about Agent Triple X and Bond. Uh, We haven't talked as much about the sharks yet in Bond films. There are so many Bond films that have sharks in them that I feel at this point they should have a union, like a shark union, Um, (laughs) because they are often involved in the stunts. And I find... First of all, this film introduces Jaws, like you said, and the idea that he was hired to kill Bond and then becomes obsessed with killing Bond, not because someone's paying him to, but because he is a consummate professional and Bond is the one that got away. I find that to be great. And the way that he does that, he conveys all that without speaking, I think is just so great. But also there's a scene at the end where he gets attacked by a shark and he bites the shark. Like they have like a whole (laughs) sequence where he's like in a fight with a shark. And I just think it's 
it's so over the top ridiculous and yet so perfect for that character. And somehow he survives that. Yeah, that's probably that's probably the camp you're you're trying to think of, you know, th- that kind of thing, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> Mumble fact. Star Roger Moore and director Lewis Gilbert are buried next to each other. No way. Way. Hmm. Original plot of the novel The Spy Who Loved Me. Viv, a Canadian, is uh, the manager at the Dreamy Pines Motor Court. Rapist thugs put her in peril. Coincidentally, James Bond shows up. Discarded ideas for the film The Spy Who Loved Me. That. Number two. It's not Agent Triple X. It is... Tatiana Romanova, she's back. Discarded plot idea number three. Bond faces a Chinese surgeon who uses a form of ac- who uses a form of acupuncture as an anesthetic, which Bond later uses himself. Discarded these idea. These are horrible ideas. Discarded. These are real. Discarded idea number four. James Bond, quote, James Bond comes into a room and this machine, this robot, which is unbelievably efficient, tries to kill him. I feel, I just, I just feel like we've gotten the best version out of like that, like with the film is the best version of, even though it's still bonkers. Well, wait, 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 hold on. Oh no. I I still have one. I'm not done. I still got you. I still got you one more discarded plot idea. The youths, the hippies, the ones who are even more anarchic than Blofeld. Kick him out and take over Spectre. (laughs) (laughs) I want that movie. Spectre. I want that movie, but not in replace of what we got. Like, I want that to be, like, another movie. I want to live in the universe where that film is a thing. (laughs) At number three, Daniel Craig checking into the list for the last time with Casino Royale from 2006. The one where they successfully reboot the franchise, despite the fact that they replaced Baccarat with Texas Hold'em which is truly a choice. No. This film, this film is way down my list. Wow. This is, okay, so this is a case of, hold on, sorry, I'm just going to turn on the light in the bedroom. <laughs> We're getting serious here. <laughs> I have here. to be able to see my notes on this one. Joke's on you, I don't have any notes. They're all in my head. <laughs> That's right. Um... Nigel needs the light on to trash my ranking. Yes. This is a case of um, I've arbitrarily put this down the list based off of like one thing in the film and it's the ending of the film. So earlier on, Sam, you said that both Spectre and Skyfall suffer from a last act which doesn't need to be there. And I would disagree with it in Skyfall. It feels a bit long, yes, but it feels slightly earned after having a villain that runs rings around Bond. Whereas, like, I feel like the film should have ended 
after Le Chiffre was beaten. I don't care for the romance between Vesper and Bond, and I feel like it's done slightly better in the film than it is in the book. However, I don't care for it. It's like a full, easily a half an hour, at least in my mind. It feels like a whole extra half hour that we don't need. However, I will say, so I like most of, like pretty much all of the film before this. Like you say, Eva Green is kind of impossible not to look at. Um, you know, she draws, like she draws all the attention in, uh, in the film. Um, you know, I like the tension in the casino, especially when Bond gets poisoned. I feel like Mads Mikkelsen is a really good, if underused villain. Um, especially like the fact that he just cries tears of blood. What's up with that? Um, However, I really like that at the end of the film, when Daniel Craig kills the guy who he's on the phone with, who's responsible for, like, a lot of the things to do with Vesper's death, you know, where he, you know, like, he reveals he's there and shoots him, and then that's when we get the Bond, James Bond moment. Like, when I was rewatching them, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, doing a, how long does it take to get to a Bond, James Bond moment? In the same way, when you watch a film or play a game, it's like, how long until I get the opening title credit? This is this is amazing, where it's literally the last thing in the entire film. I think that goes really well for a hard reboot of the franchise. You know, just in case before this, like, you were like, what? Like, you get to the end of the film, and you're like, what have I been watching? <laughs> and then he goes, Bond. <laughs> James Bond. You're absolutely right about the act three being tacked on. I mean, I, I think it plays okay, but you're absolutely right in that it was tacked on. That was, that was, um, Purvis and Wade ended the film with the, with the romance and with Vesper's death, but everything after that is a Paul Haggis creation. So, yeah. So I just want to preface this by saying the previous time when I watched all of the Bond movies, I didn't rewatch the Craig ones. I don't remember why, but so it had been a very long time since I watched the Craig movies. Casino Royale to me is a perfect film. This is my number one and I was completely shocked to find that it beat my previous number one, which we have not talked about yet. I was engaged the entire time. Like, I often gauge movies these days on, like, how many times did I look at my phone while watching it? And I almost barely looked at my phone while watching this movie. I, and I said this um, for one of the other movies, I do love when you really don't know who you can trust in the film. And I think this is a good thing in this movie. Like, even Felix, you don't really know if he's, I don't even know if they said his name in this movie, Felix's name, even though he was in the game also. I do love that it starts the interconnected Craig series. They're all somewhat related, so that raises the stakes for me. I I don't really have many notes because I just really let it wash over me and I was I enjoyed all the performances. I found the plot easy to follow. I like I do enjoy an origin story, even when you already know the character, which this falls into that category. I liked the flashbacks a little bit. Like, they had those black and white flashbacks towards the beginning of the movie where they were showing him doing some of his kills to then become 007, because you needed to kill two people, I guess, 
which seems like very specific. Um, so yeah, I just really loved this movie. I felt that Craig was a really good cast, was really good casting for Bond. Um, they made a really good choice here and I just really love it. And I, the romance works for me very well. (laughs) I agree that I really love how we get the short, like how he became 007 at the beginning, because I think all of the Craig films are very interested in what we've talked about before this license to kill. Like, They're very interested on what does it mean to have a license to kill? What does it do to a person to have a license to kill? How can you tell who to kill and who not to kill? And I think this movie really sets up that question in a way that I, we really haven't seen that kind of introspection from the series before this. It sets up the tension between M and Bond, Judy Dench's M and Bond really well, because he obviously really cares about her, even though they have a really different view of what it means to be a double O. I, I found all that fascinating. Mads Mikkelsen, I'm always going to love anything with Mads Mikkelsen in it. Like, he is just fantastic. I learned recently that this was one of his first films as an actor. Like, he basically was in dance for like 10 years. Like he studied to be like a dancer and like was a professional dancer for like 10 years, met his wife, got married, like had kids. And then just one day was like, I want to do acting and then became a Bond villain. (laughs) And like, apparently, I love that. Apparently Daniel Craig actually asked him who he slept with to get the role because he was like, (laughs) how have you never done any acting before this? And you just like waltz into the franchise when it's like really hard, a really difficult franchise to get into apparently. So like, I just enjoy that anecdote about Mads Mikkelsen because I just, I, oh, I, he's so arresting and he's so good in everything that he does. I like I said I love Vesper Lind. I love the casino and how luxurious this movie looks. Like this movie just looks so opulent. And the action scenes are next level. Like they are so tightly done. We get something in the beginning of the Bond film where he like bursts through a wall in pursuit of a character, which I think there's a lot of action films since then of who have tried to parody that or like have tried to to recreate that moment. Um I just I like it a lot. I just remembered a couple things. Um, I love the scene where he, where Bond's been poisoned and he has to try to get the, um, I guess the antidote and you think he, you know, you think he could have died. The tension in that whole sequence is amazing. And I had something else to say. Oh, I had a little Mads Mikkelsen, um, funny, um, thing in the in the book that I read, he was one of the people. You know, everyone involved in the movies was quoted, and they asked him what his favorite. Or I don't know if he said this. Or yeah, I think it was in his section. He they asked him who his favorite Bond villain was, and I am hysterically pleased to report that it was Max Zorin. And I just think that's really funny, <laughs> um, as like a choice. <laughs> also, to your point, Tessa. Um- just first of all, I'm glad he became a dancer because then uh, that gave us the wonderful scene in another round where he dances while drunk. That's great. But here's here's a fun thing to do with um, Mads Mikkelsen's Bond audition. Mads Mikkelsen has admitted he pretended to be a James Bond fan when he auditioned for Casino Royale. The Danish actor confessed he had never seen 007 in action, but didn't want to tell that to movie bosses when he tried out for the role of Le Chief opposite Daniel Craig's spy in the 2006 film. 
Asked if he was a Bond fan before being cast, he said, quote, I can't say I was because I'd never seen a Bond film. I did lie at the audition and said, yes, I love that one, and I remember that one. I actually hadn't seen any of them. I've seen them all now, and I am a big fan now. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite I thing. Love him so much. This is my favorite genre of thing is Mads Mikkelsen not knowing anything about the things he's in. He was in a Rihanna music video, and he like he had no clue who Rihanna was. His children just told him do it because they liked Rihanna, and then he, then he said at one stage because it's for um, "Bitch Better Have My Money." He said in an interview, he's like, "It's me, I'm the bitch." <laughs> <laughs> one final note: we have not talked about the number of times that the studio behind. Eon Productions, or that has funded Eon Productions, has changed hands, changed names. At this point in the franchise, the head exec who could exert his will over the franchise wanted obvious choice Matthew Vaughn, who had recently directed Layer Cake to direct Casino Royale. Again, this is clearly the right choice, but instead, we got the Kingsman film franchise. So I guess that's okay. Also, Broccoli and Wilson originally wanted director of Notting Hill, Roger Michelle, who had recently finished the Ian McEwan adaptation Enduring Love. The commonality between most movies, of course, Daniel Craig. I love Notting Hill, but that feels like it would be that weird. That feels yeah, wrong. It just, I just think it's really cool that Layer Cake was clearly Daniel Craig's Bond audition film, and they really just should have poured it over its director, too. But I think it's funny that the director that they wanted had also directed a Daniel Craig movie, and that is allegedly where they found him, not in Layer Cake, which I'm calling BS on that story. Anyway. Have any of you seen the Casino Royale TV special? No. So it's available on YouTube, and I will share that with everyone later. But basically, Jimmy Bond is works for the CIA, and there's like a Felix-type character with a different name who's British, so they kind of flipped it around. And Peter Laurie plays Le Chief. <laughs> and it's not good quality, and it's not good, but I recommend it for at least for you. If you're a James Bond fan, I feel like you should at least check it out. It's about an hour, and it's it's found on YouTube. All right. Number two. At this point, you know what they are. At number two, we put the 1969 super fun, super happy, super positive on Her Majesty's Secret Service. The one where we don't have all the time in the world. But what we do have is Blofeld running an allergy clinic for ladies. So I probably criminally have it at number 12 on my list. This is a crime. Um, I do jail. really... <laughs> I do... Uh, I do really... Jail. And I said this before. I really much... Um, bond jail abolition, please. <laughs> uh, I do really think that oh any... The <laughs> There's only three Bond movies that I don't like. So I still really like this movie a lot. Um, I... 
you know, Diana Rigg is fabulous. I think she was one of the... It's an interesting dynamic because George Lazenby had not really... Hadn't been in anything. He was, like, a model and, like, she really had to, like, help him a lot in that role because she was a theater actor and she knew what she was doing. I just... I really enjoy the very silly fourth wall break at the beginning of the movie where um, Lazenby is like, this didn't happen to the other guy. I also really love that this is an enemies to lovers story, you know? I don't like the plot of Draco setting his daughter up to, like, or setting Bond up to, like, tame his daughter is, like, a. I think that's a kind of gross plot line. But I do really like that, you know... They obviously fell in love and got married, which is really nice, until it's not. Well, I think the film, too, kind of resists it, because Bond is, like, not interested in settling down, and she's not interested in being tamed. And so they kind of find a relationship on their own terms, outside of, like, what her father wanted, which I think is interesting. But... No, that's why yeah. it's not like the horror. It's not like that was the whole thing, right. but that setup is kind of icky to me. That's fair. Nigel, where is this one on your list? It's number one. Right, you love this film. You love Lazenby. Oh, I'm sorry. Does a firework have to go off in the background? Dear Lord. <laughs> it was. It was because of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. There had to be fireworks <laughs> while talking about this film. Yeah. So I think yes. This is the best Bond film. I'm sorry to all of you who are in uh, jail for not putting it at number one, but like, I mean, I don't make the rules. This, okay. So you remember how I said that I really enjoyed the golf scene in Golf Finger? My one gripe, my one gripe against this film is that Bond talks about heraldry for slightly too long. <laughs> That's true. I feel like if heraldry is an important plot point in this film, it is. It's really important, and it ties into the world is not enough. uh, That motto and that kind of because that ties into um, Tracy and him getting married to Tracy at the end. But I feel like that scene where he explains it to the women at (laughs) Blofeld, I still can't get over. That's his plan. It's an allergy clinic to make a bunch of like (laughs) mind controlled sleeper soldier women or what like. But yeah, I I feel like if that had just been a tad shorter, like, I mean, I'm more on the side of how Tessa was with, um, like, how Bond and Tracy find a relationship on their own terms. I don't find it, like, I don't have as much of a problem with it as you seem, um, Elise, and I'm not saying that that's a wrong reading. It's just, like, that's not what I have a gripe with. It's just, like, I have a bit too much boredom in that scene. That's definitely a scene where I would check my phone. But I think Lazenby is really good at emoting the heartbreak when um, Tracy dies. And it's like, that's where it's needed out of all of the the Bond films. I think that's a more impactful death than Vesper. Because I really could not give shit one about um, uh, like Bond being sad over Vesper's death. Because that whole half hour at the end of the film of Casino Royale really just ruins it for me. So... Yes. I can't really put into words why this is the best Bond film, but I'm correct, and there, there's no other answer. 
I personally also just love Diana Rigg in this because there's this whole sequence. There's a car chase where she's the one driving the car yeah. and she's like more reckless than Bond is. Like Bond is the one who's like, slow, like slow down, <laughs> like please. And she like drives it onto like an ice rink. And like, it's just, she is, she is just such a great character. And like I said, like it's kind of strange because she tries to commit suicide at the beginning. So we know she's kind of reckless with her own life. And like, the way that she and Bond find this connection through that is just really fascinating to me. And I also, at the same time, I also really enjoy all the women in the allergy clinic seducing him. Like they, like, like they keep like showing up in his room. And like, I just, I find that to be incredibly funny because he's still a spy. He still has to do his job. So he's like trying to figure out what's going on with them. This is another bit where I would watch a spinoff show. What happens to these women after the events of On Her Majesty's Secret Service? Like, do they just go and be normal people? Like, do they become like an elite squad of assassins? Like, what happens to them? I also really enjoy that. I feel like there needs to be some sort of like Black Widow spinoff from all the ladies in Bond that are- Instead of the Red Room, it's like the Allergy Room. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The allergy soldier. Yes. Instead of the... So, this is not objectively the best Bond film. Wrong, but continue. And I don't... It's it's difficult to argue that Lazenby is the best Bond when he only had one shot at it, and Dalton's not much better. But this is my favorite Bond film, even though it's not the best one. I've made it clear throughout the course of the 17 hours we've been doing this podcast (laughs) that the novelization, the adaptation from novel to screen matters to me. And this, I think, is the best one of the lot. The thing about Casino Royale that bugs me is the book ends with that line, the bitch is dead, which makes it into the the Craig Casino Royale. What that does in the book series coming first is is shows that anytime you get attached, this is what's going to happen. That's the lesson Bond learns. And so he will have relationships with women, but he won't take them seriously. That has not been earned until the Daniel Craig movie and as Nigel said, I, I don't think they treat it correctly. The, the thing about Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which is not earned as much in the film as it is in the book series, it is the catalyst. It is the turning, it is the turning point. It's the climactic moment, whatever you want to call it. It's the moment where he says, I know what love is, and I'm going to do it anyway, and gets paid back with her murder. Because as long as he's in the business he's in, he's always going to get screwed over. And I know that's what No Time to Die is about as well. But I always want the original Tracy version better than whatever they do with it in the next film. It's just, it's such a powerful thing. And even though the film franchise doesn't earn it in the same way, even though the movie is not as good as its source material because none of them are, it's still very emotionally affecting, even minus a lot of the buildup, even though they throw it all away with the trash fire that is 
Diamonds Are Forever and that stupid, stupid, sorry Elise, stupid scene where they kill off Blofeld. Even though they ruin everything. That movie in itself is still, you know. That movie is number 23 on my list, so I'm not that offended. (laughs) (laughs) So, that just leaves us with the final movie on our list. Number one, the movie so nice, they made it twice. 1965's (laughs) Thunderball. The one with a bomb heist. Casino hijinks. The best Bond girl. And an elaborate underwater action sequence replete with sharks. What? It's a really solid movie. Sorry, Sam. Uh, Don't you mean uh, Never Say Never Again? Never. Say that title of that movie. Ever. Never again. (laughs) Nigel. Yes. Where's Thunderball on your list? Um... I don't know. I think it's around maybe a seven. Like, it's it's a really enjoyable film, but I can't... I don't know what it is, but there's something from stopping me. There's something stopping me from... That's how words work. Um, putting it in my top five. Um, <laughs> allegedly, that's how they work. Allegedly, yes. Um, I, who knows? I could just be speaking a new version of English. Um, but yeah, like, this is... This is really like a fun film. Um, like it kind of, I don't know. If I were to point at something which captures what Bond is quintessentially, I think out of all of the films, even though this is not my top film, this is not my favorite Bond film, I think I would point at Thunderball because it's like kind of the last as well. It's like kind of like the last great hurrah before Bond becomes really uncertain as to what it is you know like i think on her majesty's secret service is really good but the general consensus is not that you know and then we have connery coming back and then we go into you know we go into roger moore and timothy dalton and that kind of thing so i think this is um like i think this is what bond is in a nutshell and it's nothing to do with the plot it's entirely to do with uh like it's entirely to do with the um vibes you know i really like uh i really like largo's ship i like like the set design um you know lighter is in this film uh but yeah i think this is like this is what bond is um i i'm trying to remember now what position thunderball is in the original novelizations when that came out but it's not like early on those are my thoughts I realize uh, Elise will probably have more, like, important thoughts on how good the film is, but it's like, I don't know, this is this is quintessential Bond. I don't think that any of my thoughts are more or less important on the plot than anybody else's. Mine are like, I have a very, um, you know, the emoji with the starry eyes, like, that's how I look at yeah. this movie. <laughs> All right, where is, so you said that Casino Royale, what is it, number nine? Thunderball is number nine yeah, in the novel. Really yeah, it's really not early on. Right. So I, I happen to, I, I'm cheating a little bit because I know that this was Elise's favorite before Casino Royale apparently jumped the line. But tell us why Thunderball is so good in your opinion. 
So yeah, I this was my number one for a long time, and I'll be I'll be honest, like I do think that number like Casino Royale and Thunderball could be you know interchangeable in my top Bond movie, um, depending on the day you know and the mood I'm in. The first time I watched this movie, I just was like staring at it and. When they got to the, I know this is towards the end, but when they got to the underwater fight scene, I was like, what the F am I watching? Like, (laughs) it was so funny. I had such, I had so much fun watching this movie. Um, This movie was actually supposed to be adapted first, um, but they didn't because, they didn't, and I'm glad because the budget for Dr. No would not have been enough to, like, properly do this underwater fight scene, um, and you need that in this film. I I like the plot of the, you know, give us money or we're gonna blow you up. Like, I, that's so basic, but it really works. I love the beginning where he's at that spa or he's getting his fitness test, I guess it is. I Sometimes I... But it seems like a fitness test slash spa. It doesn't really matter. But he's, like, on that rat... The thing that they, the woman... I forget the name of the character. Calls it the rat... Like, the rack or whatever. And I was like, that looks like it would be really relaxing to... Like, I want to go on that machine so that someone could, like, stretch out my muscles and stuff. Um, but I do not want to almost get killed on it. I really like Largo as a villain, and I agree, like, Domino is pretty high on my Bond girl list. I really like her a lot. Um, I This is another example of, like, Bond sleeping with someone whose brother he killed, and, um, and I don't, and, you know, she doesn't find out that right away. Um, she seems and really okay happened. with it, though. Like, of all of... The Bond girl, she's like, yeah, he was not a good person. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was very like, well, he was a bad guy. So what else did we expect? Um, there were, I do, um, I do find that sometimes I get lost in like what's going on in the, with the plot in this movie, which I think is something that just happens with me in all Bond movies. Like I'll get really into the characters of the gadgets and I'm like wait what's happening right now eh, it's fine I don't really need to know so there is a little bit of that but I just I just think that this is the absolute most fun of all the Bond movies and I I want to say that after re-watching all of these I already just like want to re-watch them all over again. Sam said something very similar the other day actually I I love Thunderball because it's just it's like Goldfinger to me. It just has such great iconography for Bond. Like the the underwater fight is just it's so innovative and like even today, like I wa- I watched it for the first time this last year and I was just like nobody's doing stuff like this now. Like nobody's thinking about set pieces like this. You know, even though there's some really good action movies that have come out over the last couple of years, nobody's truly like innovating in the way that clearly someone was like underwater fight scene let's go like i it's just yeah. so beautifully shot and so beautifully done and this is really the first movie where we get the sharks in the swimming pool which is like so oh right like mm-hmm. you know it's so bond and I-, I agree with nigel it's just such a bond film like this is where they had really perfected the formula the tropes are all spot on it it is so good and that first scene where 
they steal the plane, like where the person like infiltrates the the plane, like the plane crew, and then crashes the plane in the ocean, and then they have this whole like mechanism for taking the the bombs away. Like it's just, it's so, it's so visually just perfect in a lot of ways. Like I, like you said, it almost doesn't matter what's happening. It's just like watching it is yeah. just such a visual feast in in so many ways, and. That's why I think it's at the top. It's just, even though Connery's not my favorite Bond, even though there are perhaps films with more interesting plot lines, this one is just so visually perfect. Is this the one where he's also, I forget, is he's wearing that like romper outfit? Yeah. I think that that is so iconic to me as like a Bond outfit that's not a suit or a tuxedo. And I just, Sean Connery was a, not wonderful human, but he looked really good in that romper, that terry cloth romper. So prior to rewatching this film with Tessa, this film is right in the middle of the pack. Probably my least favorite of the quote unquote good Bond movies. Because to me, it's like the, it's the picture that comes with the frame. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. And it is, you know, very well composed. But eh. I'm 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 much more of a uh when it comes to aesthetic, I, I am definitely more of a one direction person. I don't need the classically beautiful. I need the again, I'm not gonna say it. You're not gonna make me say it. But anyway, the one direction style of beauty, right? You're right. You know. You, you get, yeah. Did you get it? Did you get it? Okay. Um, but watching it through again with Tessa, my opinion stays the same, except for Domino. I think she alone could probably get this movie into the top 10 for me. But it is definitely not my favorite. But I'll grant you, it's the best of the bunch. And then all I have left to say is, and now for part three of our podcast, Within a podcast, Bond actors in peril. The scene with Bond and the shark was shot with a clear material between Sean Connery and the shark, except they didn't have enough of the material, and the shark could swim through. And the look of fright and horror you see on Sean Connery's face is the look of horror when he realized that fact. This has been an episode of the podcast within the podcast, Bond Actors in Peril. Nigel, I've saved this question for you for last. Oh, joy. How, how did you come to be somebody with an interest in James Bond? I don't know. <laughs> how does anything happen? <laughs> I, what's your first memory of Watching Bond. My first memory of watching Bond was probably catching a bit of um, Goldeneye on the TV. But like, even uh, even then, that wasn't like anything to galvanize me into. Because if you ask a lot of my Twitter mutuals what my personality is, they'll say James Bond because I aggressively like tweeted discourse about it when I rewatched the films the first time. And I think I did that mainly because... I I enjoy taking on large amounts of work 
where it's like, oh, no. Yeah. Where it's like, is there? No, no, that can't be true. No, obviously not. But how many, how many podcasts are we up to? Uh, do you want the honest answer to that? You don't know anymore, do you? No. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so where it's like, I'll take on a project and that, um, not necessarily a creative one, but it's like, you know, last year I was like, I'm going to read all of the Wheel of Time books before the year goes out. So it's like, I was reading two of those. I can see Sam has her head. <laughs> the second one. Oh, no. What? I have to read the second one before the first season starts. I'm I, running out of time. I read two of them a month, Sam. Yeah. Oh, God. And then in the run-up to Rhythm of War coming out, I hadn't read the Stormlight Archive, so I was like, I'm going to read one of these a month as well. So that was my project for last year in the back half of the year. And then the first half of the year, up to the original release date of No Time to Die, there was a post being like, if you watch three Bond films a week, you'll be up to date for when the new one comes out. And I said, you know what? I'll do that because I really like the look of the trailer. And I was like, you know, I'm going to see that. I want to see whether it's any better than that dreaded Spectre. But yeah, that kept getting pushed back and back. So I ended up literally just for no reason watching 24 Bond films. And because Twitter is my entire personality and I need to tweet every single deranged thought that comes into my head, (laughs) that's where it all got put out. Does that answer your question? And and I just think it's interesting that that those of us who were born long after this franchise was born, that we a lot, most of us How young find do you think Bond I am, either just <laughs> well, well, I mean, you know, the Bond of record for y'all is definitely the Bond of different from the Bond of record for me mm. when I was born, but I I think it's interesting that for those of us who you know, came to it a little bit later, who found it on their own and and whose parents or whose family introduced it to them. You know, Nigel, you mentioned the story about, um, I believe it was Quantum of Solace. So this is the last question for everybody, and I'll go ahead and stay with you, Nigel. Why does Bond matter? Oh... <laughs> what if I said Bond doesn't? Why would that be? I because, okay. So it's like you said how they're kind of like you would not be surprised if the next Bond film is the last Bond film where they're like you know they've kind of run out of story they've told the whole story to us. I don't think personally that it, the next one will be the last one because I think franchises and money. We'll make another one even if there's no sense for another one. But I think Bond is past its prime in the sense that, like, this is a legacy franchise that's been going on since the 60s. And so this is kind of tying into a lot of what we've been saying, like Tessa was saying with Thunderball, where they were innovating with fight scenes like underwater and stuff. I don't think Bond has done anything revolutionary or anything that, like, other film franchises which are doing other things better you know i don't think it's really done anything altogether that impressive i think skyfall which was like you know that was really well critically lauded um so i think like that one did something quite good 
in terms of like how the franchise okay. Skyfall does to the Bond franchise what The Last Jedi does to Star Wars and what Thor Ragnarok does to the Thor franchise where it takes every single bit of iconography that we've associated with the franchise and it strips it away and makes the character deal with that as it is you know so I think that was kind of good but apart from that Bond has passed its sell by date and I think the position of kind of a womanizer and you know slightly chauvinistic and the fact that they're like well a woman can't be bombed a woman like this is what the production team are like well a woman can't be bombed we have other strong roles for strong females but a, a woman won't be bombed and it's like what i like i feel like bond is too set in stone in being a man and there are other things like this like doctor who which recently shook that off um with jodie whittaker being the doctor but it's like if even with Doctor Who, if the next Doctor is a man, people are going to be like, oh, well, it was only a gimmick. And you have that because there's this legacy of a male-presenting protagonist. And I feel like Bond is too set in its ways for today's culture of um, representation and inclusion. So, yeah, Bond, I don't think Bond matters, but I think it mattered a lot once. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see because we had the hot priest in the last movie. It'll be interesting to see what Fleabag herself does um, with the uh, the uh, plot. You know, I I know we don't have her on screen, but we had her behind the camera uh, helping to write. I'm going to be interested in that. You don't know. Um, she might have a little cameo. Yeah, I certainly hope so. She just exited uh, the so Mister and Mrs. Smith. Uh, reboot with Donald Glover, and that was that was really sad. I I really enjoy her a lot. Um, all right, Tessa, I'm going to go to you next. Why does Bond matter, or not, or not? <laughs> uh, I no, I think Bond matters, and I think it's because and we can argue about whether it's past its sell by date or whatever. Like I I totally can see that as an argument when it comes to a franchise that's been going on for more than half a century at this point. I think that Bond matters because it really invented the spy genre in film in a lot of ways. And I'm not sure I can name a film that does the spy genre better than Bond. Like it is the template and it's also kind of the gold standard in a lot of ways, even when there's been bad Bond films, even when there's been bad, you know, acting or whatever, it's sort of this recurring fixture in pop culture that nothing nothing is quite like it i mean a lot of things try to be bond but nothing can quite recapture that particular structure the particular tropes of bond and you know i just think that as a piece of pop culture it is significant in its impact on other pieces of pop culture and also it's just it is its own thing like it, it invented a genre, but it's also its own thing. I, I think that would be the takeaway from what I'm trying to say here very badly. It's kind of like, you know, Lord of the Rings is to fantasy. Like, fantasy, the uh, fantasy has come from Lord of the Rings, and it, it it's tried, there's some bad fantasy that's tried to be Lord of the Rings, but you can't really recapture that, that same, you know, it, it's, it's a flash in a bottle, right? You can't really recapture it. So that, that would be my two cents on it. Elise. I agree. Hi. 
Um, I agree with a lot of what Tessa and Nigel have said. I don't know if I agree with the bond being past its prime, though I agree that where the world is now with regard to diversity and inclusion might not be something that can align with James Bond um, based on, you know, how they've have said, you know, we probably wouldn't have a woman or even a person of color being Bond. I think Bond is interesting culturally in that I don't think it says something about where because and this part of this is that it takes time to make a movie. I don't think that it's Bond is a commentary on what's going on right now. I think a Bond is kind of like what was going on a couple years ago. Like every, I feel like it's like a wrap up of what, I feel like Bond is like a little late to fads almost in how like Star Wars, you know, came out and then Moonraker came out two years later and then we had the same conversation about Octopussy and there was a third movie that you mentioned, Sam, and I don't remember that was like similar to another movie that came out but i i love bond personally but i maybe also besides its impact on spy genre i might also fall closer to what nigel said of maybe it not mattering um and i wanted to touch on something that tessa said when we were talking about a view to a kill and how um Grace Jones had said that Bond was conservative. And actually, I agree with Grace Jones about this. Not from, like, a sexual revolution kind of conservatism, like, or an anti-sexual revolution conservatism, but the, like, men are, from, like, a, a patriarchal standpoint, I guess, they you know, they aren't having a woman be James Bond, or Jamie Bond, I guess she could be called. Um, I do find it a little bit stifling with regard to the change that I think at least us, this group, wants to see in the world. Um, that all being said, I love it anyway. So I don't know if I think it matters, but I am going to enjoy whatever they do with it Unless it's, like, completely egregious. Bond pretends to be a Japanese person again. No. Yeah, then I'm like, eh, no thank you. Well, you know, a few years back, they talked about doing a spinoff movie for uh, Halle Berry's character, Jinx. And so the idea of having a double O agent who is not Bond, you know, perhaps opens it up. And so... Right. Uh, we are coming up on the end of uh, th- this podcast, and it'll mark six hours since we started this marathon session. Now, Nigel has its own reasons for doing things, but I can at least speak for the three of us to say that we wouldn't do this if it wasn't something we cared a great deal about. And I, I think perhaps that is true for Nigel as well. Oh, yeah, I care about Bond, but it's yeah. like I don't necessarily like him. And... You know, the, the thing about it is, is I, I, I agree with you. I think that Bond's time as an active duty agent may be coming to a close. You don't necessarily have to stop the 00 franchise. 
if you don't want to. But, you know, why Bond Matters is the solid corpus of movies that have been made. These these action set pieces, these these tropes that Tessa talked about that have been crystallized and truly nobody has done it better. The other counterpoint is the Le Carre spy. Um, in fact, you have a direct juxtaposition because who stars in the Taylor of Panama film adaptation? That's right, James Bond himself, Pierce Brosnan. And nobody talks about that movie hardly at all because the spy thing that's in our pop culture consciousness is James Bond. And that's what the legacy of the movies are, is. I think, as I said before, I think it's time for Eon to end. I do not think that they are competent. <laughs> I think they have been successful despite themselves. I think that was certainly true for the elder Broccoli and Salzman, that they knew to hire the talent, those production designers, those stuntmen. That's why, as a craft statement, these movies are so good. But I don't know that the third generation of eons, and I'm not saying anything mean about Greg. I don't know him. I don't know any of them. But I'm concerned about shepherding this into a third generation of creators. I think that the reprise that is Daniel Craig's era is a great place to end it. I don't think there can ever be a woman 007. And frankly, they cast my post-Craig pick as Q. So I'm SOL on that. That's right. I thought Ben Wishaw would be a great Bond before he got cast as Q. So that kind of did that for me. Having said all that, I'm ready to start watching them again tomorrow, which is what I said a couple of days ago. I'm ready to watch them again just because nobody does this better. They're great movies. I don't know that they need to be great movies in perpetuity in terms of keeping making them, but I, at least you said it very early on. They're just like friends that you can visit again from time to time. This is my equivalent of going back to the Shire. Ever since Abrams did me dirty with the other franchise I love, this is the one that I can go back to. I think that's it. All right. I think that's it. We did it. Five hours and 54 minutes after we started, we did it. Tune in next week. Tessa? Take it away. Spooktober. Wait. <laughs> Spooktober. Bride of Spooktober. Nigel, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SpicyNigel, where I am coming up with too many podcasts to remember. Um, the functioning ones will be linked in my bio. Um, so you can find them there so I don't have to spend any more time and keep y'all here uh trying to plug them um they're pretty cool yeah follow my twitter (laughs) (laughs) elise yes you can find me on twitter and letterbox sorry let me start that over you can find me on twitter and letterbox at elise underscore tendi e-l-y-s-e underscore t-e-n-d-i where i am trying to figure out my next movie project though like sam i may just restart rewatching uh James Bond, and you can find my podcast, Pod Race, a 
Deep Space Nine. Sorry. You can find my podcast, Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine rewatch podcast at Pod Wraiths, P-O-D-W-R-A-I-T-H-S on Twitter and Instagram. I should point out here, I don't think I've brought it up yet, but we are in a mere five days beginning our project that will not see the light of day till December, but it is our X-Men rewatch mini podcast series, our holiday series. So that'll be super exciting. We're starting that. We're doing it one week at a time instead of the insanity that was watching a Fast and Furious a day and then cutting the episode on the same day. Because we too are gluttons for punishment, Nigel. It's not just about you. Tessa. I don't want things to be about me. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. I also just want to briefly plug that this very week, we are dropping the first episodes of one of Nigel's podcasts with me, Nanyog's Book Club, where we reread... Time travel. You'll already have those episodes by the time. Oh. That's already happened. So anyway. Say be sure to yeah. listen. Be sure to listen to one of Nigel's podcasts, the one that she does with me called Nanny Ogg's Podcast or Nanny Ogg's Book Club. You are really throwing me off right now. <laughs> Nanny Ogg's. You have to wait. Stop. Stop, Stop laughing. <laughs> Nanny Ogg's book club, where we reread all of Terry Pratchett's books one week at a time. So be sure to check those out as well. Find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris nine. And while we're just plugging all the podcast, be sure to listen to our spinoff podcast, Tessa Watches Lost, where I talk to Tessa about Lost. Send us your thoughts about James Bond, Terry Pratchett, Lost, Pearl Jam, Star Trek, just any pop culture that you've experienced crossed off your list lately. What you'd like for us to do just ridiculously long episodes about in the future or really anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter at Instagram at Monkey Backlog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com because I know how time travel works. Log on to monkeyoffmybacklog.com. That's right. We have a website now. Our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.